Hello, and welcome to another episode of Body Liberation for All. I'm your host and decolonized wellness and body image coach, Dahlia Kinsey. I help queer folks of color heal their struggles with shame and self-acceptance through nutrition and self-care so they can live the most fierce, liberated, and joyful version of their lives. One in five new HIV diagnoses in the United States occurs in young people ages 13 to 24. While we will never again see the AIDS epidemic the way we did in the 80s, HIV prevention is still something that should be on our radar. And reducing the stigma that people face when they're diagnosed with HIV or any other kind of sexually transmitted disease is really crucial to encouraging people to be aware of their status. Anytime we bully or ridicule people, there's a price that we all pay as a group. In the case of HIV, the fact that these diagnoses are common among people ages 13 to 24 To me, it's pretty clear where the stigma has gotten us. Luckily, treatments for HIV are improving all the time, and hopefully one day soon, this will be something we don't have to worry about at all. But in the meantime, what can you do to help reduce the stigma? And what can you do to help prevent the spread in your own life? Today, I'm joined on the show by Dante Morrison. Dante is a dynamic speaker, and I was really swept away by his energy at a conference I recently attended. The way he explains the connection between our sense of self-worth and our being super thirsty for love and our ability to have boundaries around safer sex practices really resonates and unfortunately this is something that we just don't talk about enough in sex ed settings leaving young folks and other people who are vulnerable because they haven't been finding the love they're seeking in a really bad place but instead of just noticing this problem and leaving it at that Dante has become part of the solution. His story is fascinating. I know you're going to enjoy it. Let's get right to it. Yeah, they might try to put you in a box. Tell them that you don't accept. When the world is tripping out, tell them that you love yourself. Hey, hey, smile on them. Live your life just how you like it. It's your party, negativity is not invited For my queer folk, my trans, people of color Let your voice be heard Look in the mirror and say that it's time to put me first You were born to win, head up high with confidence This show is for everyone, so I thank you for tuning in Let's go Hello Dante, thank you so much for coming on the show You are so welcome, thanks for inviting me, I appreciate it After I saw your presentation at Black Healing October, I was on a mission to have you on because the vibe that you gave me at that presentation, I just haven't felt it in a really long time. 
people who are queer and black and from the South, you know, there's layers tend to really still be drawn to things Mm -hmm. that have Christian messaging, but then it's hard sometimes to find affirming Christian messaging and you don't know you miss it until you hear it. So when, even though your presentation was one of the shorter ones, I felt like in that short period of time, you took us to church and it just felt so healing and cathartic. <laughs> Thank you so much. Can I you, appreciate that. Yeah. Can you share a little bit of your story? What was wow. your religious experience like as a child? And at what mm-hmm. point did it feel like it wasn't supporting who you really are? It's weird because I've, I've had so many different experiences when it comes to the church. You know, I grew up, of course, like most Black people, we grow up in the traditional church system. Um, we grow up, you know, going to church as a kid, doing the Easter plays and being a junior usher, junior choir and all that. And we learn how to operate within the church. And the funny part is you can be a part of the church, but still be disconnected from God because you know how to navigate through the whole system. So, you know, religion, you got religion down pat, you know what to wear, what to say, all the catchphrases, praise the Lord, everybody, everybody praise the Lord. You know, we know all of that. But when it comes to relationship, there's often something missing because it's like, well, how do I build my own relationship when I'm being taught how my relationship should be? You know, it's like, when you talk to God, you better go to God like this. You got to talk to God like this. You got to start your prayer like this. You got to be on your knee like this. And it's like, but that's your relationship. And that's how you approach God. That's how you talk to God. But we're two different people. So I grew up non-denominational. If anybody knows about that, that's holiness. You know, that's holiness. And you were in church from eight o'clock Sunday morning until 8 p.m. Tuesday night. It's like you were oh. in church like for days at all different, you know, you're in there all day and it's ingrained in who you are, but it's also a beautiful culture because it becomes family. It becomes the village. It becomes your source of support. It's your go-to space. So I think the problem is, is when you realize for those of us who are, are gay, queer identified, you know, whatever, when you realize something's different about you, it's like, well, what do I do now? Because I'm in this place where the person that I am, I'm being told that is not of God. And that piece of me is an abomination. That part of me needs to be cast out, you know. So how do I navigate this? Because all around me are these images of quote unquote healthy relationships, boy, girl dating, you know, I'm sitting in weddings and and everybody got a crush on the other person, but I like him. You know, so how do I talk about this in this space that is the everything of my existence? If all we know is church and the church experience, but then we realize that who we are is not fully welcomed in this experience, how do we exist? And I think that's when I started really having to examine who I am, who God is, how do I need to live, what do I need to be? And it was, it was mentally exhausting as a young person. Yeah. Was this fairly young, like early teens? Yeah. About 16, 17, realizing that I'm not this dude that you guys have lived me out to be, you know, we can't wait to see you become a preacher and get a good wife and have your kids and all that. I'm like, yeah, I don't see that for me, but if that's what y'all say I need to have in order to excel in ministry, then I guess I got to go out there and get it. Question mark. (laughs) Yeah. 
you know, oh, so that's it, tough. It's, it's, it's really challenging. It's yeah, really it's tough when your religious experience is kind of all consuming like that, when it takes up so much of mm-hmm. your time and your mm-hmm. whole social life, everybody is in the same faith tradition as you. Right. So you have that feeling that if you were to decide to do something different, you also have to give up your entire social network. Right. Like exactly. literally nobody left. And even though I didn't get to be raised in a traditional black church, I always feel like I missed out because I didn't get to. My parents were <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. So, and you know, it's very similar in that you only know other people practicing that same faith because you're discouraged from hanging out from people outside of it. So when you realize you don't fit, right. you are basically left with the decision to keep faking the funk or give up mm-hmm. your entire world as you know it. Right. And it's not just the, it's not just the friends you, you losing family, yeah. you know, because of everybody going to your grandma house after church and, and you're that, that outcast, where do I go? If I don't go to church, I don't get the invite to Sunday dinner because oh, now yeah. I'm the heathen that's out there in the streets and you live in wild. And when you do come in, everybody's trying to get you delivered or get you saved again, because it's like, I don't go to church because you guys told me I'm not welcome. Mm. You know, it's like, I want to go to church, but if I'm not going to be welcome there, you know, and you're telling me God doesn't love me or God does love me, but he doesn't want me like this, then I'm, I'm confused. You know, I'm right. really confused. How did you navigate that? Did you consider the possibility that there might be another denomination that would work for you? Or was your heart really in the tradition you were raised in? Well, I think when it comes to, I think denomination is tricky because at the core of it, I'm a Christian, you know, so whether I'm Baptist, Southern Baptist, Church of God in Christ, you know, Church of Christ, you know, Apostolic, Pentecostal, whatever the denomination, the root is still Christian. You know, I love Jesus Christ. I subscribe to Jesus Christ. I follow the Holy Bible. You know, so that's the core of my spiritual belief is Christianity. The denominational piece, when it comes to sexual orientation, human sexuality, it's basically the same across the board. You know, of course, there are outliers, and now we're getting more inclusive ministries forming. But the root of it, if you are a Christian, you should not be gay because in the eyes of Christ, it's an abomination. So I could have left non-denominational and went to apostolic or went to Baptist, but even there, I would have to go and be covert about my life and who I love. Yeah. And was there also a culture of knowing that there were gay people in the church, but because they decided to give up having any romantic love in their life, they were accepted but it's almost like this expectation that you must be celibate. Cause I know a lot of times I observed people that were in leadership positions. Mm -hmm. It was very clear that that was their true orientation, but Mm -hmm. they decided to just be celibate and that was acceptable as long as you were not practicing because the story was you hate the sin, not the sinner. So, oh, maybe I actually had a family member say to me that maybe it was something I ate. They didn't say it exactly that way, but like, how (laughs) did people end up gay? Cause they were like, I don't see how this would actually happen because Jesus said, don't do that. So maybe you ate something like we don't hate you, but you just have to fight this and you have to not be yourself and seeing eye to eye on No, people are literally born this way. And I think this is part of 
intentional diversity in the human family. And I absolutely don't believe that God condemns this. We just couldn't get on the same level there. So it's not like Mm -hmm. they reject everyone who is gay. You're just absolutely not allowed to have any romantic love in your life, which is really, really so harmful. Yeah. I thought you, wow, you broke that down. It was so many layers to what you just said. Um, And there's so many different avenues to go down. I'll tackle the first one. You talked about celibacy and and deliverance, you know, so in the church room, you know, delivered. We have, I mean, the most infamous delivered Christian is Andrew Caldwell. You know, I'm not gay no more, you know, whatever. And I went through that phase as well. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be gay anymore because I want to be accepted. So let me, let me live for God as a heterosexual. Let me start dating women and all that. And I went down that path and it was a challenge. It was tiring. It was a lot because I didn't feel like I was being honest because I was still being pulled, you know, toward my natural desire. And it's like, okay, I'm dating these women. They're beautiful women. They, they love me. You know, I love them, but the love wasn't equal. You know, it wasn't balanced and that's not fair. And I think when we push people to live a life that will make them more comfortable, you know, we're, we're being selfish. So for those out there who are saying, well, in order to work in ministry or in order to be accepted at this church or in order to do anything, you must be heterosexual. It's like, okay, so if I'm heterosexual, now the funny thing with me, when I said, okay, I'm not gonna be gay no more, I'll be heterosexual. Me having sex with women was never condemned. Okay. All right, let's talk. (laughs) the the double standard the double standard um i I was encouraged to have sex with women to prove my heterosexuality so to prove that i was converted to prove that i was now straight so dante you out you smashing right you smashing oh my goodness and like like a churchy way yeah like like someone actually asking (laughs) encouraging My brain just yeah. exploded. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so I, I can smash and that's, you, you're, that's okay. So I was like, well, you know, you know, that that's natural. You know, the man got to have, you know, he got it, whatever, whatever. So go out there and get you some, you know, let you, so you can just make sure that this is what you really want. I was like, okay. So having sex with women was, was, that was all right. Wow. You know, bringing a, bringing a new one in every other, you know, month to the church. That was okay. You know, oh, wow. Okay. Dante, you know, look at Dante. Dante's really delivered. Dante pulling the girls and Dante this, Dante that. But was Dante, nobody ever asked, was Dante happy? Nobody and what asked about all of those partners that you couldn't really connect to? Because that's not it, who you are. What about their happiness? And it, no it one questioned that at all? Like, oh, how are yeah. these female congregants doing who... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's all about sad to say a lot of stuff when it comes to church, all church, black, white, whatever, is all about a facade. It's a facade of holiness. It's a facade of salvation. But the God that we know, you know, judges the heart. God looks at the internal. How, how are you treating people? You know, how do you how do you love people? You know, are you feeding the homeless? Are you are you giving water to the thirsty? What are you doing? Because we can all put on a suit and a nice hat, makeup, stockings, whatever you got to do to give this image of salvation, to show the world that I am Christian because I have the God is dope sweatshirts and I got the Jesus loves me socks and all this kind of stuff. But what is your heart? You know, how are you treating, how are you treating your brother? How are you treating your sister? And it's so unfortunate that 
I would say all of the, the gays that I have met, you know, in church have been some of the most loving, compassionate, you know, really deep for the Lord individuals because our journey is so much different to build that relationship with Christ. It's like, I need to get past all the noise that people are telling me about myself and who I am and how I'm not welcome. I'm dirty. I'm this, I'm going to hell. I got to sift through all of that to really find God for myself. And once I have found God for myself, I realized that the God that I now know is not really the same God you guys have been pushing down my throat. You know, this God is a little bit more loving, more compassionate, more empathetic. He listens to me. He understands. He wants me healthy. He wants me happy. This is the God that I know. But the God that you are telling me I need to meet is this God that has rules on top of rules on top of rules. And if I don't abide by these rules, this loving God is going to damn me to hell for all of eternity, you know, for things that you are saying I should not do. Because you got to understand, people only are applying Levitical law to the things that they feel needs to be applied. Amen. Because as I recall, it doesn't matter if you're having sex with an opposite gender person. The story was you're not supposed to have extramarital sex. And even though you would get a high five for that, I doubt any of the women would get a high five. For right. that same it's behavior. A so it's obviously applying social standards to this really ancient book that has a lot of things that you can't understand without the context of the time. Right. And people are twisting it, even not looking at that part of it. It's it's very annoying how conveniently yeah. people <laughs> interpret it. And they're like, right. this is not a debate. This is 100% what it right. says, even though it's like, absolutely how, not what it says. <laughs> it's like, how is it 100%? I'm like, it's been transcribed countless times. And we're looking, like you said, there's certain dispensations in time that they were talking about. We have to take into context the culture. You know, we got to look at, look at society now, look at the culture of the world now. The world right now could not survive in the culture in which the Bible was written because of the laws, the regulations, the requirements, even when it comes to our attire. You know, I mean, we do Levitical law, we can't mix fabrics, you know, and it's, it's certain things that it's like, come on, you guys. That, that's, come on, let's be real. Don't just pick homosexuality or sexual behavior and let that be the be all standout for the Bible. And we're going to ignore everything else in the Old Testament. But exactly. To- and things that we would never dream of trying to apply now. Right. I think I'm head to toe in mixed fabric right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never heard anybody give anybody a hard time about that. I do remember hearing from other religious groups growing up the things that people would get caught on, like don't cut your hair, don't pierce your ears, you know, but even in traditions where they would look at very specific old school commandments like that, they still would be very loosey goosey in other areas. How do you decide where you're going to take everything literally in this fundamentalist way and the areas where you're like, oh, well, it was a different time or this is an allegory. This isn't, this isn't actually meant to tell you exactly what to do. It was supposed to teach a lesson. It's yeah. not an actual commandment or anything. Yeah. And I think it's really beautiful, however, that right now we're having conversations that are challenging some of that. 
you know, people are now, you know, really speaking out loudly about their love for God and gay people specifically and saying, you know, I, I love Jesus and, and he loves me, you know, and you can, you can talk about me, you can criticize me, you can do all you want to do, but I'm still going to stand strong in my love for Christ and know that he loves me. Uh, unfortunately, what I also noticed is that when it comes to educating about, you know, sex and human sexuality, we have to, when it comes to talking to, to young gay men, you know, that's what I work with specifically. I tell them, you know, just because you feel that God does not love you does not mean you need to go out there and be a hoe, you know, and, and I, I'm very sex positive. I believe that sex is a wonderful thing, but if you're going to be sexually, sexually liberated, be in control and understand the why you're doing this, you know, and I went through that phase where I'm like, well, let me go out here and just try to find love. And I found love through sex because if I'm having sex with you, that must mean you like me enough and care about me. Ignoring the whole physical part, it was skewed. It was distorted. So I think that because we don't push healthy relationships from a spiritual perspective within the gay community, you know, we're not saying, well, you know what, God wants you to be safe, be healthy, find your right person and try to make that work. We're not teaching our LGBT youth that, you know, from a Christian perspective. Yeah. It's very much, you should not be, don't do it. Are you going to go to hell? Right. right. So it's like, well, if I'm going to go to hell, then let me just go to hell. And I'm going to smash whoever I need to smash to feel good. I'm going to hell anyway. Not understanding that love is within your reach. You can fall in love with one person and it can work. But how do we, how do we learn how to navigate a same-sex relationship? There is no, there's no primer that gives us instruction. There's no guidebook, you know, and we only have traditional ways of relationship to guide us. So it's like, well, I want to get married. I want to have this. I want a house. I want a picket fence. Yeah, if you were a man and woman, that may be easy, but we're dealing with two men, you know, and sometimes right. it's two alphas, you know, so you got two men, y'all bumping heads. Both of y'all want to be masculine. So it's like, yo, don't open my door for me. I can open the car door. Don't buy me no flowers. It's like, but I thought you want flowers and I'm not, a, I'm not a woman. You know, then we have two women. How do we teach lesbian women how to navigate through the emotions of loving another woman? The sex, sex is the easy part. Yes, it is. You know, <laughs> that's like the is, only easy right, part. That's and easy. And you're so right in that your intentions make a huge difference when it right. comes to how you decide to express your sexuality. Because I'm very sex positive too. If you have consenting adults, two consenting adults or three or four or five, then Be go great. ahead, do what you want. Right. Do you? But when you are looking for approval and acceptance, oh, it's such a, yeah. that is a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. And even people who don't want to do you any harm, when they don't use sex for love and acceptance, they don't really have any way to know how to shield and protect you because nine times out of 10, the person who's looking for love and acceptance knows better than to admit that's what they're looking for. Cause we know what people do when they right. hear that, you know, they're just like, right. they're oh, out of there. Yeah. <laughs> so you just keep hoping that even though they said they didn't really want a relationship and that's what you really want, that you're just going to give them some magical strange, you know, and it's going to, change their mind. Cause a lot of times too, that's the story that we're told in the media, even though it isn't given to us showing the real diversity and sexuality. Like you may not see a lot of storylines with two men together, two women together, right. trans people in different matches, but still the general 
myth here when it comes to love is that it's okay if you don't start out on the same page. Magically, by the end of the romantic comedy, you can both fall in love. Even if they said at the beginning they weren't trying to date. I don't know of any case where that's (laughs) happened in real life. (laughs) Right. I have not seen it personally. (laughs) We've been set up for um, heartbreak. You know, yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to have those conversations. I've noticed within my my community, I can just say as a cisgender Black gay man, I've seen that a lot of young people, they want to have that mentorship, that guidance, you know, that just role model or someone to inspire them. But there's so much hurt, you know, amongst the older, you know, Black gay male population. It's like, well, nobody helped me. Nobody guided me. And you'll figure it out. I'm tired. I'm drained. I'm burnt out. I survived the AIDS epidemic. I, you know, it's like, is so much trauma that that the give back is is from a very different kind of space. There's also a generational divide because you know millennials and the Z generation, very loud, very out, very open, very in your face. You know, social media is their best friend. My generation, we were a tad bit more discreet. You know, you don't live your truth like that you just you keep it under a bushel and you have your little circle who knows your real tea and then Mm. you go and twirl on the weekends but monday through friday you don't you don't broadcast it like that but right now it's a different generation it's a different time so it's it's a bit offsetting for some of the older generation they're like well these young gay kids they don't understand the struggle well that's good they don't understand it that's good they don't have to struggle you know, we went through all that so they can have a better way of life right now. They can live in a way that we can't even imagine. You know, coming out of high school, oh my God. You know, a GSA in 1990? No. No, you don't You don't be gay, openly gay in high school. That's inviting ridicule. And even the ones right. you knew who were gay, you don't, nah, uh-uh. Ain't no gay straight alliance. Ain't no club for the gay kids. Ain't no rainbows. No, you don't do that. Yeah, it really wasn't safe. Yeah, so seeing how things have evolved, I'm like, wow, these kids kids get to enjoy adolescence in their truth and be supported. And I think that is upsetting for older generations because they look at it as though the gays are taking over. No, the gays are not taking over and stop looking like homosexuality just appeared in 2000. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. I keep hearing that. I keep, well, I know you've heard this a million times because I don't know that I hear other groups saying this, but you know, that extreme, like fake woke kind of extreme black person. Thank you. Who's like, the man has introduced homosexuality and it's like trying to bring us down through this. I'm like, no, there've always been black gay people. People have been suppressing our story. We've gotten distance from our gay history, but we've always been here. But to hear how they go on and on, like really- Meanwhile, meanwhile, that same hotel has four or five kids that he's never met. Thank you. So you're the problem with the black family, bro. Raise your children. Oh my goodness. Yes. You know, I saw somebody post children. a meme about that. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm like, not the one tearing up the families on that's you. Yeah. You got all these kids, you got all these baby mamas and you don't take care. You don't work. You don't do this. You don't do that. But the gays are destroying the black family. Yeah. Worried yeah, about, don't worry nah. about us. Yeah. Uh-uh. Nah, we're, no, we're not. Trust me, we're not. And that that is definitely annoying. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And I also notice how we have this habit of celebrating the wrong thing. You can have a gay youth that will get 
his degree and all kind of stuff. There is no parade. There's no showering of gifts and blessings. But let Man Man come home from jail and we're all buying barbecue and we're yeah. all out there like, he's home, he's home, he's home. I'm like, you do realize that he robbed like eight people. Meanwhile, his gay cousin is sitting over there, just graduated from, from Harvard, and we've said nothing because the yes. gay boy is, you know, well, we don't really rock with him because, you know, that's the little punk over there. Mm. Oh, okay. So he wasn't he wasn't a man, you know, in, in your eyes. And I think I've been through that as well, being looked at as not being man enough. It's like, but I have my own home, my own car, my own career. I have multiple degrees, but I'm not considered a man because I have a partner a male partner. Okay. All right. And I think until we begin to have definitions or conversations on what a man is, you know, the only thing different between me and the brother on the block is that I like men. That's the only difference. And that's no, the only difference is that you openly like men because we don't know what, you know, this other person's real (laughs) orientation is. And a lot of people, when they spend time away from their family, whether it's because they had to go off for work or whether it's because they had to like go off and do a bid there, not everybody is being assaulted and just like boohooing it up about their only being men to date in prison. Some people are able to be themselves (laughs) while they're there and then they come out and it's a whole nother story. Right. You know, right. so, right. yeah. Let's just call a thing a thing. Let's just be real about it. Let's be real about it. Well, if that's got to be really infuriating. I can't imagine how traumatic it was to live through the AIDS crisis. And just hearing people talk about the stories, just the concept of when you're young, you feel immortal. And mm-hmm. then for there to be this mysterious illness that's killing all of your friends. I just mm-hmm. can't think of anything more heartbreaking. And it's extra sad for it to happen to young people for some reason in my mind. So I can understand from the trauma, people still being really salty, seeing other people having a completely different experience because all we ever wanted as all anybody wants is to be loved, accepted and appreciated for who they are. And so Mm -hmm. you see it happening to someone else and you're like, oh, oh, why couldn't I have been loved and accepted and appreciated? Like this is some nonsense. And that is like a natural knee-jerk reaction to just be jealous and angry because you're so heartbroken. Did you ever experience that? Or how did you manage not to? How can you be happy for younger people having an easier life experience and not let it bring up heartbreak for you? I think when you look at it from the, the lens of we're evolving. I think when you're when you're living in a in a selfish mindset, you kind of envy the younger generation. But I work with them. So even though they have it better in certain aspects, they also have it harder because now they have to live up to this. So you're living in your truth. So that means your excuses are basically out the window. You know, at least with me, I could be like, well, you know, if I would have came out earlier or I was gay or I was in the closet, I was this, I was that, you know, it was a lot of oppression, whatever. But this this new generation is like, well, you don't have the same obstacles. You're allowed to live 100% free. You can get a job openly gay. You can go to church openly gay. You can do this openly gay. So you don't have the same barriers. You can live loudly you know, in all of who you are and people will, they may trip at first, but they're going to welcome you versus my generation was like, we don't want your kind here. 
And I'm not saying that does not happen everywhere. There's still a lot of ignorance out there, but this new generation is really breaking down barriers and breaking down walls. Even when it came to gay marriage, when, I, when, I, when that happened, the young man I was mentoring, I said, you do realize now that you can get married, your dating life should change drastically. You know, because when you date, you know, and, and you want to get married, you now have that option. So are you dating for marriage? And you can say that to yourself. Like, is this my future husband? You know, versus when I was younger, is this the one I'm going to live with for some time until we break up? Because, you know, the gay life is just horrible. But you now can establish a household. You can establish a long-term situation with a legally governed husband or wife, you know, you can do this, you know, so it changes the dynamic. It removes a lot of excuse. You know, I want to have a husband. I want, you can have that. You know, you can, you can legally have that. So what are you going to do with that power? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't envy, I don't envy them. I look at them now, like, you don't, you don't have anything to complain about on the level that, that I did. Cause I, you can live, you can buy a house with your husband. If your husband dies, you can, you are legally entitled to everything that you got. You won't get stuff taken from you by his family or whatever. So it's like, how do you want to do this? Right. You know? Right. So are you a Gen Xer? I am a, yeah, I'm Gen X. It's just crazy how quickly things have changed. Well, I say quickly, maybe it, feels quick if you didn't have to live through the right parts of it. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. and we still have a ways to go but I'm I'm just excited about the work that you're doing because I know as an outsider because I'm a cis black uh, bi pansexual person I have seen how incredibly abusive people can be mm-hmm. to cis black gay men and mm-hmm. it's it's nauseating Mm-hmm. So it's good to know there are mentors out there. And if you don't have a mentor that you can access in real space, the work that you're doing is connecting you to men that maybe will never meet you in person. So can you right. tell us what led you to start your own content, like putting the show out there and taking speaking engagements? Did you feel called to help people beyond your immediate, you know, area? You're spiritual. You're spiritual. Did you feel called? <laughs> <laughs> Did God call you? <laughs> so basically, but you know, I, I'm an Air Force veteran. You know, I served in the military and I went through that. Then I worked in corporate America. And then in 1999, I was diagnosed with HIV. And when that happened, that that shifted my life, you know, understandably. And I realized as I think within the first year of diagnosis, I was trying to find a space where I can have conversations about what I was going through, you know, to sit with peers and all that. And I couldn't find any. And everything that was referred to me, I was either the only black in the room or or my black, my black didn't match the black of other blacks. <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, I, I know exactly black. what you mean. Yeah. So <laughs> so I was like, this is this is terrible that I cannot find a, a safe landing place to deal with this. And then the church, when I was diagnosed, I went to the church for prayer. And the first thing I was asked was, how did you get it? And I was like, what does it matter how I got it? You're going to pray for me and all. And it was like, I'm like, so what are you talking about? So I became a, a speaker talking about living with HIV and being this advocate for the community, especially for kids. So I would go to different churches and, and youth centers and educate on HIV because how they were educating, it wasn't realistic. 
you know, it was from a very, very white lens. And I'm like, you know, hood kids don't talk like this. They, they use the real words, you know. So that started breaking down ground. Then I realized that there's different levels of work in this field. So I started working in the research department at UCLA and was doing a study that educated down low men. I had to go out and find down low men. And, and ask them why were they on the DL and why were they doing what they were doing. And when I they was They must hired, have been the most resistant study it, subjects of all time. Listen, I was out at cruising spots at like two in the morning with a laptop computer and money trying to, because you know, that's when they cruise. And it was like, so why are you not using a condom? And they were saying, well, I use a condom. That's kind of admitting that I'm about to have sex with this man because they wanted everything to be like accidental. So it was no condom. They were either high, they were drunk. It was always some circumstance that that pushed them towards engagement because they didn't really want to admit that, you know, they may be gay or bisexual because they had kids and wives. And it was, it was a huge learning experience. And this was back in the um, early 2000s when I started this work. Over time, I shifted locations and then I started getting more into the youth youth portion of it, working with young men of color, young gay men of color, like 18, 29. So for at least 15 years, that has been my target audience. And I have mentored a lot of young men who have, honestly, now they're either working in the field or their lives have changed drastically, some for the better, some for the worse. Some say I'm too hard. But I'm like, I'm not hard on you. I'm giving you this tough love because the world is rough. A, you're black. That's, that's one in America. You know, you're a black man in America. Let's start with that. And I would always ask these, these guys in our groups or whatever, I said, are you a black man who is gay? Or are you a gay black man? Because that, that's a difference. Do you lead with your gayness? You know, when you walk in the room, are you gay first? And then your blackness is pushed over in the corner? Are you a black man walking in fist raised? I'm about that life, you know, my people. And then you just so happen to be gay. I'm a black man who just so happens to be gay because my gayness is such a small part of who I am in the culture of America. You know, the cops are going to see a black man first. Oh, you know, that is gay- an important distinction. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, my my gayness will not stop me from getting pulled over. Right. My gayness will not get their knee off my neck. My gayness right. will not let them put their gun down. No, my blackness is the threat. My gayness is not a threat. So mm. I let the kids decide, which one are you? Do you lead with your gayness first or do you lead with your blackness? I'm black. So I just got really passionate about wanting these kids to understand that they matter because a lot of them have been kicked out of their home for being gay. They have been kicked out of church for being gay. And because of that, their self-esteem was shattered. They dropped out of school. They didn't want to go to college. They felt they couldn't get a job or that they only was good enough to work little minimum wage jobs. I'm like, no. No, you you can't be the next great. So let's 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 re rebuild all of this. Let's unlearn what you thought you knew about yourself and rebuild you back up. That was my goal. And then from that, you know, of course, throughout that time, I got involved in ministry. I accepted my calling, you know, and and was licensed in ministry. So I was preaching a lot and just really teaching. Then I went through the whole I'm now straight phase. Then I went back like let me be true to myself so now i am an openly gay black hb positive minister you know and that's a lot to unpack it makes a lot of folks kind of like question but how are you clergy and how are you this and how are you that i'm like i am who i am 
I am who God says I am, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. So when I started the Dante show, it started out as a, a podcast. It was just me. I was by myself. And it was basically a dare because I would always have these conversations on social media that really was challenging, you know, the system and talking about Black issues, gay issues. I have a knack for interweaving the conversations so all will feel welcome at the table. It's not gay talk and it's not Black talk. You know, it's anybody that can come in. Then I evolved into Facebook Live and I did that. Then I got a co-host. My co-host is a cisgender black straight man. I'm a cisgender black gay man. And the dynamic is what people appreciate the most. They love it because I'm trying to break down this barrier stating that black gay and black straight men cannot be friends, that we cannot, you know, cohabitate together. And my co-host is not bisexual. He's not curious. He's not down low because I have a lot of straight friends who have been accused of that. They're like, Dante, folks honestly ask me because I'm your, I'm your boy. Do I get down? I'm like, it's really weird how we will say that the straight man is DL. Why can't I be a DL straight dude? <laughs> this you know, is this know? is interesting. Yeah, that goes you back know? to the bias and all of our messed up messaging around what it means to be masculine and right. that toxic masculinity and even what they were reinforcing in the church that, oh, it's just this natural male thing that need to smash, like never shuts off. And it drives right. everything because you see right. the same thing with opposite gender, straight men and women that are cis. No one believes in the possibility of friendship between those two right but it's all about that toxic idea that if a man can't fuck it he won't even talk to it which is not reality (laughs) which is stupid it is stupid yeah it's my straight straight homeboy yeah my straight homeboys they love hanging with me because i get all the females because, you know, the black girls love the gay guys. So, hey, so they come to my parties or my functions and my little soirees and all they see these beautiful women, they like, yo, Dante, is she? I'm like, yeah, she's straight. She's straight. She's single. She's single. Those are my homegirls. You know, and it's like, you got, we have to, we have to get beyond this, the bedroom. You know, I don't get in your bedroom. You don't get in my bedroom. And one thing I also make sure of my gay friends, I also make sure that they respect my straight friends. You know, I got I got some straight homeboys that are beautiful. And I always be like, yo, he's straight. Respect his boundaries. He's here with us, hanging out. Respect his boundaries. Don't make don't don't feed into the stereotype that all gay dudes want to do is have sex. Cause that's that's not true. And I right. always tell my straight dudes, you know, hey, yo, your homeboys are looking at me. I'm like, first of all, you're not that attractive. You know, get out your own head, homie. You know, just the same way the girls give you shade, the boys gonna give you shade too. Cause you, you ain't the baddest brother on the block. So just stop, you know, <laughs> and I'll bring them down a peg. Stop thinking that all we think about all day is sex. That's not the gay way. We got bills, we got jobs, we got school, we got stuff to do. Yo, sex real sometimes people. is way over there, right? <laughs> Well, it's so funny because if you think about, I've explained it to some straight people this way. I'm like, you know, that even though you're heterosexual, you're definitely not attracted to all people of the opposite sex. Right. And that makes no sense whatsoever. Right. So why would you think that a gay man is attracted to all men on what planet like that doesn't make any sense and anyone who really has known a man romantically knows that all that stuff we're fed about them you know only thinking about sex and thinking about sex all the time that's not true you know and especially when stress gets 
in the scene, like, good luck getting them to think about right. it ain't happening. So exactly. yeah, people just really need to think beyond the lies we've been fed. Right, right. So I do that. So I mean, I also do a lot of conversations with clergy. A lot of Black clergy reach out to me covertly because they don't want to be, you know, seen talking to the, the gay clergy dude. So it's like they have conversations because they see within their within their flock, you know, there, there are members of the LGBT community. And it's like, well, you need to minister to these people. They're going through, you know, but I think the most groundbreaking occurrence was after the Pulse nightclub tragedy was when my bishop said, yo, we got to do something. What can I do as your pastor? I said, let me talk to the church. And he allowed me to speak. And I shared with the congregation. That's when I came out as gay. I'm like, yo, I'm gay. Y'all, this is, y'all love me. I've been here for years. I'm gay. You know, if y'all assumed it, they are now confirming it. But what happened at Post Nightclub was tragic, and we cannot ignore that. People need to know that we care as a church, you know. And I'm like, the reason that it hurts me so bad about that was because Post was a sanctuary, you know, and a lot of gay clubs are sanctuaries. We don't go just because we want to turn up or listen to WAP on repeat. We go because we want to be in a space with our own where we can live true, live honest, laugh and joke. Similar to church. I grew up in church and church was my space to go, to be with my family, my friends, to live, to laugh, to love. It was my sanctuary. So imagine someone coming into our sanctuary and destroying it, you know, killing people in our sanctuary, in our safe space. And it's an outsider that did it. I said, so we have to look bigger at what goes on with these tragedies. We got to look at what is happening. We're, we're people that really care. We love, we want to love back. We want to be around you. We want to embrace you. We want to understand you, but it has to be reciprocated. And I think that day, a lot of walls were destroyed. A lot of stuff was broken and people started to realize, you know, this is a human situation. You know, we're all humans on the same pathway. We're all trying to get to a good ending, you know, but if yeah. we can't have conversations about that or sit at the same table without wondering who is doing what in the bedroom, you know, if we, we all need to come together, if we all came together and voted Trump out. That was us. Had nothing to do with who we're sleeping with. That was us, you know, and especially for Black people with all the stuff we've been through. It's like Paulo Fierre's book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It's like Black, we were slaves. We were brought here. We were slaves for 400 years, beaten, bruised, all kind of stuff. And honestly, we're still slaves to a system that does not respect us or appreciate us, you know. So how dare us? How dare cisgender heterosexual individuals further oppress Black LGBTQ individuals? How dare us do that? That's an insult to all that we've been through as if there were not gay slaves, as if there were not gays on, on, you know, crossing the middle passage. Gays have been here all along. And as Black people, we need to learn how to unify our efforts and not divide based upon sexual orientation. If we're really going to bring about change in our own communities, we need to allow space for everyone with their talents, you know, to come together. So, so stereotypically, heterosexual men, you build the house and let the gay men come in and decorate it. Stereotypically. But Gay men can build a house too. We can pick up a hammer and there's a lot of straight men that can cook better than women. You know, so it's like, 
these gender roles and gender norms and all that, let's throw that out the window and let people do what they are qualified and equipped to do so we can get ahead. Amen. I really feel like the concept of not embracing freedom a hundred percent now that we have that possibility mm-hmm. is so heartbreaking because mm-hmm. why, like you said, why are we going to continually oppress people from within our community when we know so many times black people come together for a break from constantly being othered from always being the only one for being treated like you're from some other planet and you're not having a similar human experience to other people so for somebody gay to go into a black space wanting that break and then to be treated once again like you're the only one you're like from some other planet well we're jumping through hoops to understand and accept you because you're just so strange and we don't understand this gay agenda it's so unloving it's so taxing and i feel like it's spitting in the face of your ancestors who probably dreamed about freedom for you as their descendant so many nights after just surviving the most horrifying days Right. And for us not to embrace this opportunity to really be free, to be free of these stupid binary gender concepts that were not even our own. Because if you look at the cultural practices that were prominent in West Africa at the time that people were being kidnapped and sold into slavery, the way that we're seeing gender now, it doesn't match what our ancestors' concepts of gender were when they were kidnapped. And it's like, why, why are we still participating in these systems of oppression that are not our own for what? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Hence why you will see so many members of the black LGBTQ under that umbrella hanging out with white people. It's like, well, because you can't get any peace when you try to hang out with black folks. Let me go hang with the white folks because at least they accept me. You know, they ask me questions about me, but they accept me. I try to go to the black barbecue and I'm looked at, I'm thrown stuff at, I'm told to go sit over there. I'm not welcome to do the electric slide. I just, I just don't fit. So let me go where I fit. And I want to be a part of the black community, but they don't want me. So then when I'm with the white folks, I'm called a sellout in this and this and this Uncle Tom or Coon or whatever. So now I'm talked about over here for being over here. I can't come be over here with you. So what do y'all want from me? What do do y'all really want? And when you can clearly articulate what do you want from me as a Black gay man, then I will understand how to best negotiate my life with you. Well, that's the beauty of going through an experience of oppression that has multi levels Mm -hmm. because you can truly decide for yourself, well, I'm getting pulled over here and over there. And if I just am looking to conform, I literally cannot win. What is my heart saying? Because what if some of my chosen family is going to be other white people that are also gay? What if some of my chosen family is going to be people who are both queer and people of color? You can't be stuck in a box. You can't, if you really want to be happy, you have to start making your own way because these levels of oppression won't let you just keep being basic. You know, you have... You got to evolve or be miserable. Those are your options. Right. You have to. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're going to have a very boring life because you're closing yourself off from so many beautiful opportunities and so many beautiful people that you can meet. I love my journey. 
because I have met some of the most phenomenal individuals of all shades. You know, I have friends of all colors, all ages, and I think it's just gorgeous to be able to have a palette of just options to choose from when it comes to how I want to hang out, socialize, talk, whatever the case may be. I'm Black first. I'm Black all day. But I know how to mingle in spaces that are comfortable. Now, I'm not going to go to a Trump rally, you know, but I'm just saying, I, you know, I know how to navigate while still remaining Black and true to who I am at the core. But I think some folks, they get, you know, the Hoteps, for example, they get so Mm. caught up in this one way of thinking that you're really doing more damage, you know, than good. And and we have to be mature in our messaging. We got to be mature in how we navigate through, because believe it or not, sad to say, some of these others, we kind of need you know, to get through certain doors, you know, once we get through the door, we can build up our own infrastructure, but we have to know how to navigate these spaces, you know, we, and until we do that, we're going to constantly be on this hamster wheel of trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it only makes sense. So many people are trying to be intersectional these days. Right. Of course, there's still a whole lot of room for improvement, but Right. If there's somebody out there trying to love you, just waiting to help you, who wants to amplify your voice, but you're so traumatized from being treated poorly in the past by people who look that same way, right? you know, you're really, you've got to work on your healing because you're missing out on a lot of opportunities. And I think that's where it starts, healing, self-healing, self-examination, and owning up to the part you play in, in your demise and the demise of others and just being honest about it. And really asking yourself, what can I do better to not only make my life, you know, improved, but to help someone else live a better, healthier life? Because a lot of us, we've said things over the course of our existence that is that have really pushed people over the edge. And those people may never see them again, but there's power in the tongue. And you you spew words and not realize that someone's going to hear that. And whoever hears that, that may be detrimental to their existence. And you're liable for that. So we got to be more responsible, even on social media and what we say, what we share, who we promote, who we support. We have to be intentional because our name is the only thing we really have. If we don't have money or nothing, we need to have a solid name so that when somebody speaks our name, it's good things. And no, everyone is not going to like us. They all not going to rock with us. But at least let the majority know that Dahlia and Dante are two good people that are trying to make a difference within their community. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And thank you so much for illustrating too, that self-love is a big part and self-acceptance of our ability to embrace safer sex practices, because that is totally overlooked in sex ed in general. And then understanding that if you accept the way you want to accept express your sexuality. You don't have to play those mind games with yourself where you say, oh, it just happened because I was intoxicated. It just happened spontaneously and I wasn't planning for it. So I didn't want to use the condom. And I also blame the media a lot for making the condom look like it's so not sexy. And it's so that it's an indication that you don't trust your partner because your partner could easily have a condition that's contagious and be unaware So you can trust them all you want, but you know, sometimes it takes a little time for you to even test HIV positive. So you could have been negative the last time you went and you tell your partner that, 
and you're being a hundred percent honest and truthful and you still need to use a condom period period, period. point blank period point blank and have the conversation ask questions. I was talking to a group of youth on yesterday via Zoom and I was like, yo, if, if you're if you're old enough to have sex, you're old enough to have conversations about it because this is your body. At the end of the day, you know, when I was diagnosed, you know, people were like, well, it's your responsibility to tell everybody that you have HIV. What? I'm like, why? Like people that you're not having sex with? Yeah, I was like, for what? Why? Because people need to know. What are you talking about? And then I told the kids, there's a lot of folks out there living with HIV that will never disclose their status because they're only in it for the one time hit it, you know? And if you don't ask questions, you know, there's there's no liability. You can't come back and say, well, you should have told me. They can say, well, you didn't ask. You didn't ask. You know, this person is living with an incurable illness. They're trying to mentally understand themselves. You know, they feel shamed and dirty and all kind of stuff. So for you to come in and not question it, they're like, well, you must don't care either. Or they may assume you have it too. So it's all about right. having conversations in the bedroom. And I, like, like we both said, we're both sex positive. But if you're going to have sex and don't want to have those conversations, you better use a condom 100% yeah. of the time. You and you're not, you might not be ready. Like you might really yeah. need to spend some time figuring out how do I navigate those conversations and how do I get to a point where I feel so confident about my worth that if somebody doesn't want to have sex with me because I insist on practicing safer sex, I'll be okay. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of time people don't want to insist on condom usage because they're afraid of being rejected. Right. But right. that's really something you have to work on before you're in that situation of trying to negotiate it. And these days people chat so much before they hook up. I think it should be easier if you don't wait until you're there to talk about yeah. safe sex practices. Don't wait until the zippers are down. Thank and you. Now you. Don't do a quick it. Question. Well, I'm already inside. So we'll talk about it after. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. so many people have heard those yeah. words. <laughs> You have to factor in all of the issues that we're processing. So you, by the time you get to that point, you're horny and good to go. You've Mm -hmm. got issues with self-worth. You have this stuff in your head about trust and the condom. Some people are offended when they're really and truly offended when you ask about condom usage, because that's the way people put it out there. And people use all this nasty language to denote HIV positive or any STD, not that HIV is always an STD, but just to say, are you clean? That language has got to go. You do not become unclean because you have an STD. That is such a stigma. It's such an evil, ugly, dirty stigma. It's like, what do you mean am I clean? I bathe on the daily. Thank you. you. It's like, yes, I am clean. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're spot on. Conversations are key. And you're so right when you say the tongue has so much power because if we're using that language and we don't mean to be hurtful, we need to understand how harmful it really is. And also to be aware how many people have STDs and will never get tested because they don't want to live with the stigma of it. So there are a lot of people, you know, who have been festive and open in their early years. (laughs) They just don't want to get tested (laughs) uh, because they want to be all able to answer that question. Yes, I'm clean. I'm pure. Yeah. Yeah. So they just don't want to get tested. So where does that leave all us? Like mm, not in a good spot. And if you already have, like if you have HSV one or two, then you're 
at higher risk of getting HIV when you have sexual contact with someone who already has it. So getting treated for even our minor STDs that, you know, so much of the population has when doesn't lose sleep over them, but it's so important to be treated for all of them because mm-hmm. one can leave you more vulnerable for another. That's going to cost you a whole lot more money to manage. Exactly. And if you're already in a population that tends to be underinsured or underemployed because of systemic oppression, it's just like, ugh, it's this it's domino so effect of, yeah. of risk and strife. Right. Right. It's so much, it's so much out there, but we just don't have these conversations yeah. and we got to start normalizing these conversations. So people won't feel stupid asking questions or wanting to learn. They'll feel like this is just the normal thing to do. What do you mean? You don't ask questions. What are you talking about? This is what you're supposed to do right. before you have sex, you know? Right. So we right. gotta, we gotta make it normal. Right. And with prep and other new advances, we got a lot more options about having romantic relationships with people who have a different status than us without right. eventually having the same status. Exactly. But if you don't have that conversation, you're not going to get to have any choice. Right. And it all comes from education. You got to yeah. educate yourself, but you got to want the education. You got to want it. Yeah. 100%. So true. Where do we find your show and where do we connect with you on social media? Hey, here we go. You can find my show on Facebook and YouTube, youtube.com backslash Dante Morrison, D-O-N-T-A-M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N. All social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all is my name, Dante Morrison, D-O-N-T-A. I always say folks spell D-O-N-T-E or D-A-N-T-E, D-O-N-T-A Morrison. So uh, my show airs Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Or you can visit my website, DanteMorrison.com, and you will see everything about me. All that I do in the community, the work that I've done, interviews that I've had, it's just it's just out there. So um, subscribe to my show on YouTube. Check us out. If you want to be a guest, more than happy to have you. I love what I do, and I love educating the community. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been so really insightful. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Please do connect to Dante, reach out on social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And remember that I have a YouTube channel as well. And a recent addition I've made is an affirmation and meditation playlist that's dedicated to queer folks of color. If you're on the mailing list, you already received that in your inbox. And if you haven't already hit reply to give me some feedback, please do. Remember, the only feed for the show is that you share it with others anytime you hear something useful. And that honestly should be every episode. And I have spots open in my one-on-one coaching program. If you would like to connect with me, see that link in the show notes. Thanks as always for joining me. I will see you next time.